The following podcast contains spoilers and words like and gosh Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, thanks for joining us here at We Watched a Thing. As usual, I'm Topher. As usual, he's Billy. Uh, how are you, sir? Mate, I'm really, really good. How about yourself? I'm fine. Thanks for asking. Oh, that's good. How's your back? You, you all better? You back at work and everything? No, I'm still a crippled, elderly <laughs> wreck of a human. I mean, you are- Thanks for asking. You, you are very old, so- It's a fact. <laughs> but uh, did having a bad back, did that mean that you were watching like a ton of movies? Binge mode, son. Man, that's the life. That's the dream. <laughs> it included request from patron 1974's Chinatown. Yes. Yes, which you had seen before. And in fact, you you mentioned last week that you nearly watched it like a couple of days before I told you it was a request. Yes, I was scanning the the Blu-ray shelf like last week and I was like, ah, maybe Chinatown. And then went in a different direction and then, hey, presto. <laughs> so, is this, this a, is this a favourite of, of Toph's? I don't love Chinatown the way I love like The Godfather, but I've seen it a bunch because I think it's fucking awesome. Yeah, well, this was my, I just, as you know, literally just mere minutes ago finished watching. <laughs> yes, you're fresh, aren't you? I'm very, very fresh. So, unlike my usual self, I don't have notes this week because I literally just turned the TV off. Mm, that must um, be really strange for you not it, to have taken uh, notes in a film. It's really weird, right? It's really, really weird. Um, but yeah, first viewing for me ever. Never seen it. One of those movies again, you know, like The Godfather that just kind of slipped past me. And I was like, I know I should get to it at some point. So do you like, do you have any kind of relationship to like, I mean, I mean, everyone kind of whether they've seen The Godfather or not has some kind of relationship to the film, I think. Did you have any kind of pre-existing relationship to Chinatown or it was just out there as this meant to be very good film that you hadn't seen yet? It's one of those things like I've seen a lot of- um, noir films you know from like the 20s and 30s and of course i didn't know exactly how the ending went but i think just about everybody knows that that final line you know forget it jake it's chinatown so there were there were bits and pieces that i was as i was watching i was like oh yeah yeah but um you know that are just kind of in the cultural zeitgeist but I I wouldn't say I had a relationship with it. No, it, it was not like- See, when I watched The Godfather, there was a lot that I, I knew about previously. Um, whereas this had many more surprises for me than that. But yeah, it was, it was really good to finally actually sit down and watch it. <laughs> mm. um, well, tell us a bit about it. All What's right. What's the film about, Billy? Chinatown is in 1974, as you said, American neo-noir mystery film directed by Roman Polanski from a screenplay by Robert Town. It stars Nicolas Cage and Faye Dunaway. And what is it about, Toph? Billy, it's a great question. Isn't it? <laughs> it's about- the possibly unwinnable fight against the man. Oh, I like that. I like where you're going there. It's about a mystery unraveling for our man Jake about a about a sordid affair, come murder, come corruption yes. investigation. Yep. It's about Faye Dunaway fucking owning the screen. Oh, isn't she fantastic? At, at the beginning here, I'd like to just address what for some people might be the elephant in the- Podcast. I know. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so this film's made in 1974. Yep. By a guy many people are probably familiar with. Yes. Roman Polanski. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a few years after this film, he will never return to the United States because he is, in fact, a convicted 
Kitty Fiddler. Yes, he is. <laughs> yes. A horrid human. <laughs> yeah, just a just a bag of shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I know people who have no interest in ever revisiting a Roman Polanski film. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I'm like, this is one of those arguments where personal, and I could be wrong about this. Maybe there is a right or wrong answer. I don't think there is. I think if you're like, to me, the mere suggestion of watching a Polanski film is yuck and I don't want to do it. That seems totally valid to me. If you're like, this is considered by some people the greatest screenplay of all time. It might be, it's probably the first iconic Jack Nicholson performance. Faye Dunaway is just lights out. Amazing. Why would I want to rob myself of that? That seems perfectly valid to me. Yeah. Look, I mean, the only thing I, I could suggest is maybe if you want to watch this film, um, get like a bootleg copy or pirate it or something just so that like Polanski doesn't get anything from you. <laughs> <laughs> like, mate, like, yeah, I've, I've got, yeah, I have a, I have a copy that I clearly, yes, I paid for my Blu-ray in a shop one day. <laughs> so I'm hoping, I mean, I hope it's one of those times where like the studio just completely screwed the filmmaker out of royalties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, but- what's he going to do? Come back to America and get it? <laughs> my suggestion would be like, find an uncle who has an old VHS copy that was taped off TV and uh, watch that if you can. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, it is one of the. It is one of those things. I mean, it, and th- you know, this is now. It was only weeks ago that we watched a Kevin Spacey film, and you know, some people have the same kind of thing there. Oh, don't get me started on rewatching The Usual Suspects with both Spacey and Brian Singer. <laughs> you know what? I did watch last week. I wonder if this was the same night that I was thinking about watching Chinatown, and instead, I was like, "Ah, oh, I haven't watched Fincher in days," and put on Seven, and I was like, "I'm." I'm not sure Kevin Spacey's good in this film. Really? Really? It's been a it's been a minute since I've seen it. I reckon the last time I watched that, uh, we were working in TV and there was a cyclone hitting. And I don't know if you remember those days, but because I had an amazing voice, they were like, can you just stay up and do the weather updates? <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I had to stay up and every every one to three hours, I had to record like a two minute weather update. And this was in the middle of the night. I couldn't leave the station. I just had to stay there. So I just watched a bunch of movies. And I remember watching Seven on the little TV. Oh, the tiny little monitor. Yeah. The, the tiny little one. And that was, that was the last time I saw it. I don't know if, like, the reality of the humans is clouding it, but I was just watching it going, Morgan Freeman, amazing. Young young Brad Pitt, pretty iconic shit. Yeah. Kevin Spacey, not sure he's good in it. Uh, anyway, none of those people are in Chinatown. No, let's, let's get to Chinatown, shall we? Now, all right, you mentioned the screenplay before as being possibly, like, the great screenplay. Some people consider it to be the GOAT. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's the goat for me. I, I do think it's very, very good. Um, for me, I'm still not sure it hits the heights of, say, The Princess Bride, which I think of as one of the great screenplays. It's very, very good, though. It's an interesting way to do it. I was thinking as I was watching the movie, and I'm sure you noticed this as well, that our man Jake is in every single scene in this movie. The entire thing is very much from his point of view. Every scene. Great way to do it when you're dealing with a noir because your traditional noir, they're very twisty, turny. You know, you think of like, this is not a traditional noir, but The Big Lebowski, which is in some ways a parody where it goes to great degrees to try and be 
as confusing as it can be. And it's a great way to do it, to have everything centered around your main character because he is just as behind as we are in trying to figure things out. That's right. It means you've got no information that Jake doesn't. And so you're just completely on the same wavelength exactly. as, as your protagonist. Jack Nicholson was not nobody in 74, but he was not Jack Nicholson yet. Not that, I mean, I wasn't alive. I wasn't going to movies, but- Yeah, what year was Cuckoo's Nest? Cuckoo's Nest comes the year after this. That's what I thought. Yeah. So, I just, I, what it must have been, I would I would imagine to go to a cinema in 1974 and there's this guy, maybe you know him, maybe you don't, and he just serves up this, I mean, just flat out, I think, iconic performance. I'm try, like, I'm trying to think of- the last time that happened to us, that someone who wasn't that much on our radar just came in and blew us away the way I imagine Nicholson did for audiences. It's it's the best Nicholson performance for me. He is- I take this over Cuckoo's Nest. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. He really, really commands the screen in this film, I think. And, and you mentioned Faye Dunaway as well. She is very, very, very good in this movie- Holy screaming movie star, Batman. Yeah. It doesn't happen as much anymore. It's more of a it's more of a thing from decades past that you just like, wow. Yeah. Movie star. Yeah. Faye Dunaway is just move fucking movie star. <laughs> yeah. And I'm gonna jump jump ahead a little bit here and maybe surprise you. I didn't love this film. I liked it a lot. I really, really liked it. But for me, what really, really makes this film, and maybe this is a subsequent viewing thing, maybe I'll like it more the next time I watch it. But for me, it's really the final 20 minutes that make the film. And what Faye Dunaway does as the film progresses, she just gets better and better in this film. And like you think of some of those final moments of her performance, and she really, really is very, very good. Yeah, it's to obvious. I mean, it's obviously to her credit as well, but also the script that. She starts off as this, like, you think she's the femme fatale. She's this, like, she's inscrutable. We're not quite sure. What her motives are. Yeah, can we trust her? What are her motives? The further into the film you get, you start to think probably don't trust her. And then the film actually kind of flips it on you. I think it's pretty great. Yeah, this person who you you were pretty close to writing off at some point, quite possibly, then becomes- like the only, like maybe the only genuinely sympathetic character yeah. that you spend any real time with in this film. Yes, yeah. Because even our man Jake, like at the beginning of the film, you get the sense that he's a bit of a, like a little, not not a scumbag, but a little bit of a scoundrel. Oh, yeah. And then you, like you spend a bunch of time with him and you really like him. Um, then he beats the shit out of Faye Dunaway and you're like, Jesus, Jake. I was reading that that's not actually in every cut of the film. Right. Um, I, I From what I was reading, if I understand correctly, that wasn't in the theatrical release and that came in subsequent edits. So, I'm, I'm not sure then what the reveal of the situation uh, was like previously because that scene obviously is where we find out that Catherine is her daughter slash sister. So, I don't know how that played out earlier without those slaps, but Jesus, he just does not stop slapping her there. That, to me, was actually- that was really rough to watch. That From that point right through to the end of the film, and again, as I said, that was my favourite portion of the film, but from then on, it just got, like, bleak and cynical, which is one of my favourite things cinema can do. But, yeah, it was rough. 
you know one of my favourite things that cinema does? I know some people think this is, like, really lazy storytelling. And, okay, yeah, it kind of is, but I, I don't care. I love it. I love storytelling via the news. Oh, yes. Both film and TV. Yes, definitely. I just love it. You know, a camera going past a screen that's showing the news. I don't care if it's lazy. <laughs> I'm into it. In, in this movie, we get a, a good little slice of it in this movie early on because they never explicitly tell you, um, like, exact, to my knowledge anyway, they never say, like, it's 1938, which I think, I think it's 1938 that it's set. But I don't think it's ever said in the film, like, it's 1938. But there's, like, a guy with a, uh, with a newspaper reading about Seabiscuit, which in 19... Like, I don't know when Seabiscuit was running around, but in 1974, people probably did know that. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. So it's just a it's just a storytelling device that I'm just a complete sucker for. Yeah. <laughs> All right, getting on to if we can talk about like the production a little bit. Yep. It's an interesting thing the the look of this film because we've shifted away from the classic black and white noir with its you know really high contrast lighting and this film being in LA. It's an interesting call that I do think works for the film that they lean into this the really kind of sun drenched look. Yes, yeah, of the city. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. That I, I find it really, really interesting. As I said, I haven't seen that many neo noirs really, but having seen a lot of noirs, yes, I found it strange that shift that we've really lost. As you brought up the high contrast, but it's the shadows to me. When I think of a noir film, I think of that really deep shadows, very interesting angular look. And this really has none of that. This is a very, very modern looking film. Like, I don't know about you, but I watched this in 4K and it it looked like it could have just been released last year to me, to be honest. It, it was a very modern looking flick. It is. Yes, it is a very good. There's a scene where he, where Jake is like having a look at the riverbed where someone has apparently drowned. Yeah. That he's like, I call bullshit on this. And he walks down from kind of bridge level down to the riverbed with the sun setting yes. in the back. It is just a shit hot shot. It is so good. Like the composition is really good, but just the light in that shot yeah. is so, so good. And like they can't have had a lot of time in terms of we've got time to do, I don't know, two takes or something yeah. while the light is this good. Yeah. Um, it's astonishing. But so this film- this film comes out six years before another Nicholson film in The Shining, which it's not the it's not the contrary to popular belief, it's not the first film with the Steadicam, but it is one of the first films with Steadicam. There are some scenes in this film where, when it does go handheld, I find it a bit jarring compared to a lot of the more you know, let's just say traditional filming styles of the film. And I'm just like, ah, if it was like if it was just six years later and you could have done some of these scenes with a Steadicam, yeah. I think it would have been awesome. I was going to bring up the same thing because one thing that really strikes me about the cinematography of the film is how much they lean into composition over movement. There's very little camera movement in the film, really. So, I agree with you. When it does then go steady cam, it is, it is a bit jarring in comparison to the, the visual style of the rest of the film, I think. That's nitpicking stuff, largely. like the, And the look of the film, like over, over the journey of the film, it has such a specific- Look, it has such a specific colour palette. Yeah. The, the editing has such a specific pace. It's a just a fucking brilliantly realised production. Yeah, it is. Yeah. There's something so striking about Chinatowns, like the neon lights, the the reflection of them. There's something just so pretty. Like, do you think this movie would work as well if it was, say, Little Italy? 
Well, Little Italy doesn't sound as good. It does. Forget Forget it, it, Jake. It's Little Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because, like, really, that, like, China, does Chinatown, do you think, does that really mean anything in the context of the film? Well, in the context of the film, absolutely. Outside of the film, not at all. No, that's what I mean. Like, I- I'm yes, obviously. Sorry, the the way that it's used in the film as, for lack of a better word, a metaphor. Sure, but that that could have been any place, and it wouldn't have really made a difference to the telling of the story. You say, you know, forget it, Jake. It's the Greek Quarter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, but do you th- do you think the specific choosing of Chinatown? Do you think that was purely for the visual language of it, or do you think that there's another reason that they went with Chinatown there? I hadn't thought of it. Struggling to come up with an answer on the spot. <laughs> While I do, do you want a fun fun bit of trivia about Chinatown in LA? I'd love trivia. Yeah, Chinatown in LA got moved in the 30s. Really? It's like a few. St- It's like, I don't know, a few blocks away, I think, from where it used to be. They decided this in the mid-30s and the only time- So, there was this brief time where there was no Chinatown between it getting shut in one spot and opening in another spot. The only year that there was no Chinatown in LA- (laughs) 1938? Yep. (laughs) That's hilarious. That's that's actually one of the best bits of trivia you've ever shared on this show. That is one of the- (laughs) Best fun facts I've ever seen about a film. I love it. Oh, man. See, Chinatown is like my happy place. Like, you know how much I love dumplings. I don't think I would- You are, you are a dumpling man. Yeah. If I lived in LA in 38, I don't think I could cope for a year without Chinatown. Else, elsewhere in the cast, um, Houston, who I think was initially approached to direct the film, and he was like, nah, I'll be in the film, but don't need to direct it. Um, just, a, just a yuck person. It's it's borderline hilarious, but like because it's just so messed up that the villain in this film is this sexual miscreant. Yeah, it's a bit in of a like Polanski a film. <laughs> yeah, and he does he does play it really well. I was reading that he doesn't consider himself much of an actor, and and he's actually never really been happy with his performance in this film. But as as a villain, he is um he's a really great on screen villain, actually. Yeah, and just no. He, I think he knows that he's a, he's, he's a bag of crap and just, like, the, the amount that he does not care about yeah. anyone. The final scene where he's, you know, grabbing her out of the car and covering her eyes, that it is so yuck and it leaves you with such a bad feeling in your stomach. The final, like, five minutes of this film. It's, to me, it's up there with, like, Taxi Driver. In terms of those kind of just the feeling it leaves you with is so visceral. Even with classic noir, like there's going to be a lot of bumps along the way. But in the end, it will be okay for our guy. Yeah. And then you get to the last minutes of this film and to quote train spotting, no, nothing's <laughs> going to be okay. And so did you know that that wasn't the original ending that was written? I did. Yes, yeah, so Town wanted it to have a, a happier, although still kind of cynical ending where Faye Dunaway kills Cross and then gets arrested and, and you know, imprisoned. Um, and then it was Polanski who, who came up with this ending. Decades later, Town was like, yeah, this is, this is better. This is better, yeah. The fact, yes, as much as you might wish it, as much as we would like for it to be the case, um, these, these guys win. And that, really, that's what the film is about. It's amazing that a film about water and power kind of companies can be so engaging. 
and yet somehow it's a lot more entertaining than, say, Star Wars Episode One, another film about politics which just kind of missed the mark. <laughs> so you think if George had gone rather than rather than trade routes, if he was about siphoning off water from the Naboo, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that's that- probably what Episode One was missing. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with Jar Jar. <laughs> Oh, yeah, no, no, not Jar Jar. (laughs) One thing I I love going back to the screenplay is the way that it treats the hero archetype. And as you said, our man Geddes, he's not a great guy, but he somehow finds himself the hero in this story. I love how rankled he gets at the suggestion that he is in any way a scumbag? Yes. Yeah. Which is the true sign of a scumbag. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if you told me I was a scumbag, I might be like, yeah, you know what? I probably am a little bit. And I think deep down, that's how you know I'm not really that much of a scumbag because I'm able to accept my scumbagginess. <laughs> but people who are true- Self-awareness is a good trait. Yeah. But people who are true scumbags, they're the ones who get the most like, oh, I'm not a scumbag. <laughs> <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I really love the way that it treats his character and the journey he goes on where, like, by the end, he's he is the hero of this story. He's he's trying to save the city. He's trying to save these women, but he's still not a good guy. So, 1974, handy year for films. If there was a run of Best Picture winners that went The Godfather Part Two, The Conversation, Chinatown, you would look at it and go, wow, what a, what a little era in films. For them to be up against each other in the same fucking year, that just sucks for those. <laughs> you look at, like, it sucks for two of those films. Yeah. Because then you look at other years where you're like, that's the best we had. <laughs> and now you've got, you've got this film, which some people think is the best screenplay of all time. Yeah. You've got The Conversation, which some people think is the film of the 70s. Yeah. And you've got The Godfather Part 2, which some people think is the best film ever. Full stop. Yeah. Like, fucking work it out, fellas. <laughs> Can't one studio call another and go, okay, look, we'll take this year. You take the next year. Let's just figure this out. And also, fuck you, Francis Ford Coppola. How did you make The Conversation <laughs> and Godfather 2 in the same yeah. year? That's disgusting. Just stop embarrassing the rest of us. There's a couple of years like that. Like obviously there's 94 which a lot of people tout as like the best year in cinema, which I, I don't I don't think it's the best year in cinema. And um and there was that year in the 30s as well where a ton of of great films. It was the year Wizard of Oz came out that there were like four or five really really classic films. Also the year later on in the 70s where the lineup for best picture is just absolutely outrageous. It's like it's outrageously good. Uh, and fucking Rocky wins. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Academy. Now, I hate to tick off Billy Bingo here because you're always ragging on me for it. And, and, and our mate Sam from Movie Reviews and 20Qs, when we recorded with him this week, he also chose to rag on me for this. But I have to say this. Can we talk about the score? <laughs> Go for it. Now- I say this every week and you're always like, I didn't hear it. I'm sure that this week you noticed this score. Hard not to hear the score in this film because it's very, very loud on the track. You think? I didn't notice it being too loud. Oh, my God. Right. Fantastic score, though. Really, really good stuff. Fantastic score. But I, this is like, I actually have an issue with the sound mix on this film, just with the way the score 
just absolutely overpowers everything else going on 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 occasions. Yeah, right. Um, but yes, fantastic, fantastic. Score. Oh, the use of saxophone. It was like it it does. You know, I hate to compare again to Taxi Driver, but the score for me here was was very similar to that. But the use of the piano as well. There are some moments here where the score, unlike Taxi Driver, where the score is very, very in your face and and it's supposed to be. There are some really great moments here of just kind of quiet reflection in the score. Even, you know, like you think of the final 10 minutes, they could have easily gone big and bold there, but they don't. It ends on such a quiet note, I think. Like you say at the end there, just having that restraint in it because it's this kind of, I mean, the entire ending of the film is just this resignation mm. to, well, fuck it. What can you do? Yeah, it's it's Chinatown. That's what it is. Like, has like has this film given Chinatowns around the world a bad rap? Do you think? Oh yeah, yeah. Someone got killed there, but hey, it's Chinatown. <laughs> oh, forget it. Forget about it, man. Forget about it. Yeah, you go to complain to a restaurant because you got food poisoning. Forget it, Billy. It's Chinatown. It's Chinatown. <laughs> I'm not saying that Chinese restaurants give you food poisoning. No, no, they don't. I love Chinese. <laughs> Alrighty, so how are you scoring this, Toph? I am scoring Chinatown a 9 out of 10. I think it is sensational. The fact that it just has the moxie to go, yep, of course the rich white guy won. Deal with it. Um, the performances are stunning. There's just an awful lot to like about this film. Has that score changed for you over time at all, or has this always been a 9? I'm always just kind of been unwavering. The first time I saw it, and the first time I saw this film was because just, I shit you not, I think it was because I liked the cover in the video store. Oh, yeah. I mean, the poster is amazing. The Faye Dunaway up in smoke. Yeah, the the yeah the hand drawn. Oh, so beautiful. This looks cool. Yeah. Um, and then I was like, wow. Wow, that was, that was awfully good. My opinion has not changed. Yeah. I'm really torn here because I agree with you that there is so much to like. And obviously, I've said almost nothing negative about this film, to be honest. But in spite of all that, I found myself not being engaged with it as much as I wish I was. I found particularly the fir- up until the final kind of half hour, I I just- There was something about it that wasn't really sucking me in. I wondered when I was watching it this time whether- Because like you'd said when we watched Emma- yeah. That, like, you're hopeless with names, and if names come up a bunch, it just kind of loses you. And watching it this time, I was like, I wonder how Billy's going with the amount of people who are referenced who you barely meet. See, it's funny. That didn't really bother me so much, but I just found it not really super engaging for the first hour or so. And I, honestly, it's really strange. I can't put a finger on why, because as we've said, the production is great. The script is really, really good. The acting is really, really fantastic. And for me, it's the performance of of Nicholson in that first hour and a half that really, really kept me as engaged as I was. But there was just something that wasn't sucking me in. So, as much as there are so many things to really like about this film, I'm an eight. I was I was between an eight and a seven, but like there are just there are too many good things about this film to give it lower than an eight for me. 17 out of 20 for us, that's a Let's say that's a hard recommend. That's a pretty good score. Yeah. As you mentioned, let's just check this off, Billy. We did uh, have a recording with our our dear friend Sam from Movie Reviews and 20 Qs just yesterday. No, two days ago. Anyway, it doesn't matter in (laughs) podcast land. 
doesn't matter when we recorded it. You'll get it when you get it. Uh, Sam will be releasing an episode soon yes. on Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yes. That, that, was, that was a lot of fun, actually. That, that's a great movie. <laughs> Better than Chinatown. <laughs> You know, a couple of weeks ago, you were like, you know what? I think people are turning, you know, they think you're the one with the, like, the classical taste and I'm the offbeat one. <laughs> yeah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> we're back to, um, you know, films this year that Billy has said is better than Chinatown. Like, <laughs> what was that one with not Margot Robbie that you gave a nine to? Ready or not. Yeah, you gave that a nine. So, there you go. Ready or- Billy says ready or not's better than Chinatown. <laughs> Fact. <laughs> Oh, that's not the way it works. You can't you can't literally say, well, that was an eight, this is a nine, so that's better. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you put facts in the story? <laughs> um, I was gonna do the, the old uh, what are we getting to next week, but I mean, I, I don't know, so I guess you probably don't either. Um, is it is it worth our while, do you think, checking out that new Capone film with Tom Hardy. I mean, that's like actually a new release, which we don't get too many of. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't even heard about that. I mean, there's. A, I mean, we could also do Scoob if we want to. If we want to watch the new Scooby Doo movie, I I don't want to <laughs> at all. So there's a, there's a new Capone movie. Is there? Yeah, Josh Trank. All right, trying to um trying to get on the comeback trail after. Fantastic Four, which I did not subject myself to. <laughs> I mean, there's also a new David Spade movie. <laughs> that does not look- It's got it's got Rob Schneider, so- Does unfortunately, it? Unfortunately, yes. No. My, my veto. It no, is- yeah, seriously. I think he's. Th- I think he plays a carrot or something. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is produced by Happy Madison as well, so- Yeah, I- okay. So, I'm, I'm happy to <laughs> let that one through to the keeper. Um <laughs> All right. Well, let let let's keep workshopping it for now. All right. Let, for now, it'll, let's put it'll a, possibly be Capone. Yeah. It'll possibly be something else. Yeah. Let's put a pin in Capone at the moment, and we'll. It's um, a mystery that you need to unravel, <laughs> Jake Giddy style. I'll tell you what, though. We'll say this much. We'll watch something next week. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll try to. I've it. already watched two movies tonight. So. <laughs> Anything good? What have you watched tonight? No, it's not been a good night. <laughs> I'll catch you up in our what else have we been watching episode, but it's been a dog shit night. Actually, no, that's not true. I watched something that was that was nice and quite entertaining and, <laughs> and then watched some dog shit. Um, are we going to we gonna do that on Facebook Live maybe next week? It could happen. All right. Well, if, if, you, if that's the kind of thing you'd be interested in, um, follow us on our Facebook page and, and we'll keep you updated there on if we're going to be doing a, a live stream of what else we've been watching so you can keep up with us. Yes. Unravel the mystery, people. There could be a- there could be a, an episode next week on Capone. There, not, there might not be. Yeah. There could be a Facebook Live two days after this episode comes out. There might not be. <laughs> yeah, all right. Forget it, listeners. It's, it's, it's Chinatown. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing, where we may or may not be live streaming at some point in the next week. Who knows? If you want to help support the show and tell us something we should watch, like our dear friend did with Chinatown this week, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing. And in the meantime, we'll catch you next week with something. See you, everyone. You think we you think we've done this justice? Yeah, sure. All right. I mean, no, but sure. Get used to it, bitches. <laughs> In the meantime, if you want, the rich white guy wins, and not to brag, but very wealthy. <laughs> it's not true. It's, it's really mortgages and everything. Yeah, fucked. <laughs>